Hello, campers. This is Genevieve. And this is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. What can we say except you're welcome? I'm sorry. (laughs) I need to make some adult friends. So, Dwayne, are we calling the story today a mass murder or a survival story? Survival. Mm, Okay. Uh, So, I guess it's technically both. Uh, The mass murder being a catastrophic failure of what I would definitely call criminal negligence involving an airplane, but also a survival story. And the survival being my ability to ever conceive of getting on a plane again after today. (laughs) (laughs) I truly like need to pop a Xanax right now just talking about a plane crash. I can't look at a plane without already like imagining me plummeting. Ugh. There's a lot of that word in this script. (laughs) (laughs) I think, though, that you're really going to like it. And it's a bit of a break from some of the um, horrendous stuff that we've been covering with murders the last few weeks. So we're giving a nice little nod to specifically my mom, who might actually make it through a whole episode this time. (laughs) Okay, let's see how many other campers out there survive this one with their desire to fly intact, shall we? Let's go, Dwayne. On Christmas Eve 1971, a commercial airplane carrying 92 passengers fell from the sky and plummeted two miles into the depths of the Peruvian jungle. A desperate search through the unforgiving tropical wilderness turned up nothing but twisted hunks of metal and Christmas presents dangling by their festive wrapping from the dense canopy overhead. And by day 10, rescuers had lost all hope for any signs of life from Lanza Flight 508. Today, we're doing a pivot from typical true crime content of murder and mayhem to bring you the tale, to bring you a tale that's arguably just as harrowing, but also celebrates a strength that's really like no other, the teenage female human spirit. Camping isn't what you have to worry about today, so much as flying. Because we're telling you the incredible soul survivor story of 17-year-old Juliana Kupke. Juliana and her mother Maria had begun Christmas Eve day 1971 with mixed feelings. On one hand, they were glad to have made it on their flight. On the other, they were a little apprehensive because Juliana's father and Maria's husband, Hans, had implored them not to fly with the particular airline, Lanza Peru, that they had chosen, since it apparently made a pretty sketchy reputation for itself after two back-to-back crashes of their own aircrafts. But The mother and daughter were eager to get back to the ecological station that they called home with Hans deep in the Peruvian jungle on the outskirts of Lima, Peru. Juliana had literally just graduated high school and attended her prom a mere 24 hours earlier, so she was feeling pretty excited to be turning over a brand new chapter of her life. And like most teenage girls, pretty invincible. On this day, two flights had been scheduled with Lima, Peru. 
but due to repairs taking too long on one of the other planes, which apparently was one of the ones that had crashed, only one of the two flights would take off according to schedule. And the 92 passengers waiting to board flight 508 cheered when their flight attendant's voice came over the intercom to welcome them on board. They had been the lucky ones who were going to make it home in time for Christmas. Juliana and her mother stuffed their luggage into the overhead bins and settled back into row 19 seats C and F. Their flight would be carrying them across a spectacular view of the Andes Mountains and the Amazon Basin, and Juliana was excited to have the window seat so she could fully enjoy it. But as so often happens in the tropical climate, massive storms frequently gather, and after about 25 minutes of smooth flying, the atmosphere grew increasingly dark and cloudy, and the aircraft was heading directly into a gathering wall of dark and dense thunderclouds. At the time, this didn't make much difference to Juliana, or to the large Peruvian man in the aisle seat who started snoring as soon as he sat down, because Juliana enjoyed and was used to flying, and it wasn't like rain was anything unusual for the rainforest. However, her mother grew increasingly anxious as the rapidly growing storm front closed in around their plane. Massive clouds churned by as though they were alive, and in no time, the sky became pitch black dark, punctuated by brilliant flashes of lightning. The plane began shuddering violently, and passengers screamed and clung to the armrests as overhead bins popped open and Christmas presents wrapped in festive paper tumbled down into the cabin. The sleeping man jerked awake and scrambled to fasten his seatbelt. A thick, blinding streak of white light rocketed into the right wing just outside of Julianne's window. The plane's engines had been decimated by lightning, and a stab of dread pierced Juliana's stomach. At that same moment, her mother Maria screamed into the darkness around them, This is the end. In the minutes that followed, Juliana's memory exists only in fragments. It took only a matter of seconds for the irrevocably damaged aircraft to dip into an almost completely vertical nosedive and plummet towards the earth. Juliana felt the roar of the engines in every inch of her body, and everyone around her screamed in horror as parcels, flower bouquets, and clothing flew everywhere in the cabin. Surrounded by pitch black darkness, Juliana all at once realized that her body was no longer surrounded by the cabin of the aircraft, but by the open air. The rest of the plane was nowhere to be seen, and Juliana had an incredible moment of clarity that she was still firmly strapped into row 19, seat F, as she spiraled head first towards the jungle treetops so fast that her seatbelt completely cut off her ability to breathe. As Juliana broke through the bottom of the dense cloud formation and the deep green of the jungle rushed towards her, 
she had a sudden thought that they looked astonishingly like broccoli before everything went black. Whew. Caitlin is unwell. I'm definitely going home and I'm making Jacob again promise me that he will snap my neck the minute anything goes wrong on a flight because we already have that deal and I just need to make sure that it is solid. Does he have to snap your neck or can he slip you some dental no, uh, no. drugs? No, no, no. He just <clears throat> like, I, I already want to be on horse tranks mm, when oh, I'm flying. I, I want to be dead before like, any, I don't even care if we make a miraculous mm. landing. I want to be dead before I even hit like an air pocket. So it, I, ne- uh, it needs to be quick and final i'm Got sweating <laughs> <laughs> somehow murder doesn't make me sweat but this does oh. the landscape of the dense peruvian jungle stretches on for hundreds of miles in every direction as far as the eye can see and in the 1970s clearings or paths were virtually non-existent in the thick flora and fauna The fragments of Flight 508 would later be determined to have rained down over an area nearly six miles wide, and the largest impact point of the crash was so difficult to locate that 27 years later, it would take a documentary team four separate attempts with advanced equipment, a helicopter, and Juliana herself guiding them to finally locate it. Yeah, so for writing this case i spent a lot of time watching a documentary that was done in 1998 by warner herzog who was actually supposed to be on the same flight that juliana was because he was filming a movie called the wrath of god just a few miles away from actually where the plane crashed and at the last minute he ended up being put on the other group of passengers so he didn't make it on her flight but because he had that bizarre almost connection to it he was fascinated with her story and ended up doing a documentary about her 27 years later so when this crew with Juliana went back to try and locate the site of the crash Mm -hmm. because the documentary shows her actually taking them through her journey that she eventually travels on the Even 27 years later, when there's been a lot more development and farms that have gone in, the jungle is so dense that it takes them three hours just to cover 300 feet in a single direction. And eventually they just have to say, screw it. And they spend all of their time hacking out a clearing with machetes so that they can bring in a a helicopter i'm sorry all i see is um johnny depp's version of willy wonka finding the oompa loompas with hacking it with yes i mean yes that's um some real good scientific accuracy but yeah they that's what they have to do is they just have to clear out a spot for a helicopter because it's impossible to get in any direction efficiently and pieces of the aircraft are just littered around them when they finally find the location so it's 27 27 years later later. yeah it it's bleak now i'm picturing madagascar king julian living it up in the wreckage (laughs) i like to move it move it i like to move it move (sighs) these happy images are getting me through this Mm, yes As Juliana lay unconscious among the wreckage, she dreamed. In one dream, she was running around frantically in a dark room and bumping into the walls. 
and the whole time she could hear booming and roaring noises in her ears as though she herself was a plane engine. In another dream, she was overwhelmed with the sensation of wanting to jump in the bathtub and scrub herself off because she felt incredibly sticky and dirty. And in the dream, she told herself to just get up and walk over to the bathtub. As Juliana moved to stand up and head towards the bathtub in her dream, she suddenly jerked awake and found herself lying on the jungle floor, completely drenched in mud and earth. With airplane seat forming a sort of crude tent over the top of her as she laid curled beneath it. In this moment, she realized that she must have fallen from the sky to the ground, and she would continue to lay there beneath the seat, severely concussed and in a daze all the rest of that afternoon, through the night, and into the next morning. So, how on earth would it have been possible for Juliana to survive such a fall from two miles high? Juliana herself believes that there were three plausible explanations, and at the end of the day, she thinks it's most likely a combination of the three. First, in very big thunderclouds, there are dramatic wind updrafts which drive everything upwards, which definitely could have slowed the downward trajectory of her fall. Second, for the brief time she was conscious in the air, Juliana recalled having the feeling that she was spiraling downwards and that the jungle appeared to be spinning beneath her. This would have happened because she was buckled into the end of the row of seats, which would have created an effect similar to a falling maple seed, where the top end is like a fluttering wing and the base of the seed spiraling down. Third, she was told by one of the men who later reached the crash site that where her particular seat was found, the trees were dense and intertwined with vines. This maze of foliage would have broken her fall and slowed her even further as she fell through it and struck the ground. Caitlin, have you been forced to watch the show on Netflix by my children, Ultimate Beastmaster? Yes, the yes. other day actually. <laughs> yes, which is basically American Ninja Warrior 2.0. And in this show, there's this obstacle that makes me think exactly of this, which is this web made out of like spandex strings mm -hmm. that are like all crisscrossed and they're in a big chunk and uh -huh. they have to start at the top of the chunk and work their way down yes. and the timer is running. So they have to do it quickly, but... That's exactly what I'm picturing. Like, but, and it slowed the yes, fall down. Yes, but with vines and branches, and they're, like, bumping into it and kind of getting wrapped up into it. And that makes a lot of sense that that seat would have... Slowed down. Just kind of spiraled its way through those things, but gradually slowing, which it's is also... It's still a no for me. Yeah, it's a no and horrifying. But thank you, nature. Yes. Also, how did she not get what's the word I'm looking for? Punctured, impaled. Yeah, impaled That's what I'm thinking. on something. That is also incredible because I can't even imagine how fast she had to have been going when she hit those treetops. As Juliana's foggy brain slowly cleared over the next twelve hours, she pieced together that the plane had crashed in the middle of the Peruvian jungle, and she was completely alone. Her mother, Maria, whose hand she had been gripping so tightly, had abruptly vanished at some point during their fall, and so had the large man who was sitting in the aisle seat of their row. There was not even so much as a scrap of clothing left from either one, and Juliana was now utterly alone. She reached a hand up to her face and winced to find her left eye completely swollen shut, 
and she could just barely see through a narrow slit in her right. Her glasses, which she wore all the time, were long gone, and she was only wearing one of her sandals, but somehow her thin and fashionable sleeveless mini dress was still completely intact. Do you remember there was a viral post that went around about a pair of leggings on an Amazon review? The butt leggings? The butt leggings. And this woman... Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. Yes. This woman wrote, I literally rolled down a mountain and she has like a video i believe yeah. like or a picture while, while i was on a hike and these leggings did not tear and that is what i am thinking of juliana you need to go back and leave a review for that dress for that dress yes <laughs> juliana tried to struggle to her knees but the pain in her eyes and head was so severe that she was forced to lie down again After a few more hours, she managed to pull herself into a sitting position and began checking herself for injuries. Her right clavicle was fractured, and the pieces overlapped but miraculously were not protruding through her skin, and she would later recall that weirdly this injury didn't really cause her much pain, and she was actually more horrified by the deep gash on one of her calves that was so deep that it wasn't even bleeding. Meanwhile, I cry over a paper cut. Mm. Maybe what you need is a nice deep gash, then you won't have to worry about blood. That's horrible, though. And I'm sure she was in hella shock. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think that's the specific medical term for it, hella shock. Hella shock. There's shock and there's (laughs) hella shock. It struck her as looking like a canyon with jagged edges, and she realized that it must have been caused by a flying hunk of metal tearing a chunk of flesh from her leg. In the dense jungle surroundings, Juliana could not see or hear any signs of life from any of the other passengers, but she was desperate to locate her mother and began calling out for her and feeling her way through the damp brush on all fours. Even though her physical injuries could have been far, far worse, the pain of her mother's abrupt disappearance from the seat right beside her made Juliana feel like her body had been torn in two. That would be just absolutely horrible but the thought of your mother or like any loved one yeah you know they were alive two seconds ago oh yeah and now gone because and sorry to my husband but who's the first person that you want when the shit hits the fan mom is mom like and again no shade to my husband but when all three of my children were born i was just like when is my mom getting here yes when is my mom getting here and yeah yeah It's difficult to even think about, but what else is she going to do? I mean, that's all you can do is just exist and try to call for them. Mm Because at that point, she probably didn't know her butt from the hole in the ground. So, (laughs) yikes. As a young biologist in the 1940s, Juliana's father, Hans Kupke, apparently had a dream since he was a very small boy of being able to live and conduct scientific research in the remote Peruvian jungle. And after World War II, he left his home in Germany and actually stowed himself away in a cargo of salt on a freighter, which he rode all the way to the coast of South America before he crossed the entire continent on foot to reach Peru. That's having a dream and going for it. 
1950, he would marry a German ornithologist who specialized in neotropical birds named Maria Mikulix Radecki. And together, the two of them made their home at the ecological station they both developed together on the outskirts of Lima, Peru, where they conducted research and co-authored multiple scientific publications together. Okay, so they're way smarter than I'll ever hope to be or imagine. Same. They had a baby who they named Juliana, and she was their only daughter, born on October 10th, 1954. The little family was incredibly close with each other and happy in their life, and their home in the heart of the Peruvian jungle certainly was nothing, if not unconventional, in comparison to the 1950s middle-class white family with a picket fence stereotype that we get from literally every black and white TV show from around that time. Their house was a small grass hut. And as a little girl, Juliana loved taking care of all kinds of animals and was particularly fond of her pet toucan. So they're basically, this was Family Robinson. (laughs) You know what? I always wanted to like be them though. Mm, That's my favorite attraction at Disney World. Oh, I love going there and dragging other people there with me. That is awesome. I always loved that their treehouse was so high above the ground because I was like, absolutely nothing could get you because they lived so high up and they would pull that ladder up and shut that trap door. Well, Mm. I mean, Tarzan's parents did get eaten by that jaguar. Oh, right. And they lived in a high treehouse. Oops. (gasps) Yeah, I forgot about that one. This is the third song I've dropped. (laughs) Disney movie. (laughs) Juliana would eventually leave the ecological station to attend a German high school in the more residential and developed area of Lima. But she couldn't wait to get back to her family's home in the jungle where she felt truly she was meant to be. Juliana could trek alone through the virgin rainforest and navigate creek and river water in a canoe by herself with complete confidence, and she worked alongside her parents to help them with research and observations over the approximately one square mile that their ecological station covered. Now, I know we all have a pretty stereotypical image that comes to mind whenever we think of a rainforest, but... I don't think that any rainforest cafe that any of us went to when we were kids was an accurate representation of the incredibly dense vegetation and local wildlife that the Kupke family lived their lives among. At their ecological station alone, the family of scientists would identify over 500 species of trees and at least that many plants. They also identified over 400 species of ants, 350 species of birds, 52 species of bats, around 80 species of mammals, 50 of frogs, and also around 50 of reptiles, not to mention hundreds of species of insects. I think it's safe to say... (laughs) Most of us would not last five minutes out there if the Cupkeys had decided to put put their house on Airbnb. Uh, yeah, definitely not. 
I would have been canceling my reservation at 52 species of bats. One is plenty. Oh, no. I love bats. Bats are so cute. I, I follow a rescue bat page. It's the 400 fucking species of ants that have me going, oh, hell ants. no. Ooh. I also think of Indiana Jones and those ants eating that one lady. Oh, yeah. That was the Indiana Jones, the in-between one. That's the bad one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it still has Harrison Ford. Yeah, it does. And uh, what's her face? Kate Blanchett's hair is perfect that entire movie but she's also a nazi so Mm. she's canceled yeah you know hair doesn't count yeah but yeah the ants are also a nope the insects are a nope i'm perfectly fine being a wimp and letting the cupkeys have their ecological station in the rainforest good for them thank you for them for their intelligence (laughs) and whatnot but i can google it yes thank you for your service cupkey family and I'll also throw in that in the this 1998 documentary that I watched, the crew follows her around at her home on the ecological station. And there's a part where she's talking about how she actually got her doctorate and wrote her thesis for her doctorate studying bats, which is super cool. But there is a part where she's talking about studying bats and she's standing on her porch Mm -hmm. at night and there's a light right above her and it looks like there's bats flying around her. So you think, oh, that's cool. There's bats flying around her and she's talking about how she loves bats. But no, what is flying around her, Caitlin, are freaking crickets the size of like Snickers bars. And that is when I noped out. And she's just standing there cool as a cucumber while they're landing on her and flying around her head. And I guess you have to be fine with that if you live out there. But holy no. Add that to the list of monsters. (laughs) For reasons why camping is canceled. Yes, camping is canceled because of snicker bar crickets. You know that's probably a thing. Like an actual candy. Disgusting. (laughs) Well, those snicker-sized crickets are just the land critters. Oh, no. At any time in just about any body of water that one may happen upon in the Peruvian jungle, there is likely to be stingrays. We're still thinking of you, Steve Irwin. Mm, yes. Crocodiles and piranhas. Fun fact, apparently piranhas are completely harmless in moving water, but if it's standing, you can't even put your head between your knees to kiss your ass goodbye because they will already have eaten it. <laughs> <sighs> I didn't know that, though. I didn't know that piranhas can't get you if the water's moving. I didn't know that, but, like, river monsters made me like taught me that they're not as scary as you would think but i didn't know that oh interesting i didn't know they were ass-eating piranhas (laughs) i mean i think they go for every part of the body and the ass is just like the cherry on top the cake yeah the cherry on the cake and the (laughs) (sighs) sorry guys (laughs) this is our anxiety talking (laughs) Now, even though water is home to all kinds of creatures that would love to take a nibble out of a human nugget, locating a creek as soon as possible is vital for jungle survival if you ever happen to find yourself lost in one. Because that creek will always eventually connect with another large creek, which will always connect to a river, and a longer river is going to be by far the most likely place to find places of established human dwelling. When Juliana was living with her parents at the ecological station, 
an incident occurred which served as a precedent for which Juliana herself would eventually go through. A group of Americans had taken an expedition into the Sierra Mountains, about 30 miles upstream from where the Cupkeys lived, and on that expedition, an incident occurred. Apparently, a member of their expedition, an extremely large man, who was around seven feet tall, accidentally shot himself in the leg and had to send one of his students to backtrack for help. The young man soon became hopelessly lost in the dense jungle, but in a stroke of luck, happened upon a small stream, followed that stream to a river, and followed it for two days until he happened upon the Cupkey's ecological station. Man, I bet he cried when he saw that station come. Oh, man. Yikes. That is not a good time. In the 10 days following the Christmas Eve crash of Flight 508, the most extensive search in the history of Peruvian aviation would turn up absolutely nothing of the plane or its 92 passengers or eight staff. Rescue helicopters could not locate any visible paths of impact in the canopy of trees. It was as if the jungle had swallowed them whole. Even from her place on the ground, Juliana marveled that the tree branches above her and the row of seats appeared completely untouched. For the next three days, Juliana picked her way through the tangle of flora and fauna in the daylight, calling out over and over for her mother and doing the best she could at night to curl up in her thin dress and keep herself warm. Now we need to talk about an unlikely hero of the story, the Peruvian crested chicken. And don't worry, because these are super important to Juliana, so we think they will be to you as well. Crested chickens are a large species of chicken that is native to Peru, and they love to congregate and build large sloppy nests and lay their eggs in the branches of trees that overhang large bodies of water. Because their nests are pretty haphazard, the young chickens will often fall out of these nests into the water below. But unlike the chickens we have around these parts in America, the crested chicken is an incredibly powerful swimmer pretty much from birth. And they even have little claws on the outer edge of their wings that allow them to scurry up tree trunks to hunt bugs and get back in their nests. According to Juliana, who spent extensive time studying these chickens, they're pretty much indestructible. They also make a loud, high wheezing sound that is very distinctive whenever they are agitated, and apparently they're always bowing to each other. And these crested chickens would prove to be one of Juliana's saviors. Three days after the crash, as Juliana was making her way through the dense jungle, she heard this unmistakable wheezing and snorting that she only knew to be that of the crested chicken. From all the time she had spent studying them with her parents, Juliana knew that wherever these chickens were, there must also be water. And desperate for any sense of direction in the tangle of dense vegetation, any time Juliana would hear the snort of a crested chicken, she would follow it. And on day four, sure enough, Juliana stumbled into a small clearing that she quickly realized had been made 
by another piece of the crash, another row of seats like the one she herself had fallen in, containing the bodies of three dead women. The seat had literally drilled the length of a full yardstick directly into the earth head first, and only the legs of the deceased passengers were visible to the petrified Juliana. In retrospect, she realized it couldn't have been possible that one of these pairs of legs might have belonged to her mother because Maria had been seated directly beside her daughter. But at the time, the young girl was so terrified and disoriented by this first sighting of any other piece of the crash and so desperate for any hope that her mother may still be alive that she approached the bodies and used a tree branch to lift and take a look at each pair of feet. In a bizarre moment of relief, Juliana could see that each pair of feet had painted toenails, and she knew then that none of them were her mother, because in Juliana's entire life, not once had she ever known Maria to paint her toenails. Not far from the row of seats, Juliana found a small bag of candy and a Christmas cake the size of a large brick. The cake was intact, but was completely soaked and covered in mud. And at first, Juliana tried to eat it, but it tasted so terrible that she ended up leaving it behind. Many years later, she would remark how that was stupid and she should have taken it with her. But at the time, she had no clue of the long journey that still lay ahead of her. As Juliana was searching around in the area where she'd found the row of seats for anything that could be useful, another sound seeped its way to the front of her consciousness, getting louder and louder until it filled her head, the sound of the soft dripping and trickling of water. She followed the sound to where it materialized in a small stream, and it was then she remembered the incident with the student from the American team and how he found and followed the river. And she knew in that moment with absolute certainty that if she had any hope of surviving the jungle, if she found the water, she would have to keep following it. Thank you, chickens. Anyone else would probably have stayed at the site of the crash and waited for help. But for Juliana, it was clear that this was pointless, and she already knew from all her years living in the jungle that no matter how small a moving body of water is, it will always flow downhill into a larger one, and that by steadily following the water to a river, she might actually stand a chance to finding help. Eventually, the small trickle of water led her to a creek, and without having the slightest idea where she was, without so much as a pause, Juliana waded in and began making her way upstream. At this point, Juliana's concussion was still so severe that her brain literally did not permit her to freeze in fear or have a complicated inner dialogue about what she should do. She just knew she had to keep moving forward, no matter what might be lurking just beneath the fetid surface of the water. Fun fact time, because you might be wondering what we are right about now. And that's how in the ever-loving fuck did an airline manage to have three of their planes crash? One of them catastrophically so? In such a short amount of time? Great question. <laughs> I've been wondering too. Well, it might have had something to do with the fact that in order to save money... The airline had hired engine mechanics whose only prior professional experience had been motorcycle engines, nor were they licensed to do the work they were hired for. In total, the death count would end up being 101, including passengers and crew. That... 
That is unforgivable. That's so bad. That an airplane engine, they're like, hmm, motorcycle, airplane, motorcycle, airplane. Good enough. The similarities are shocking. I'm not even joking you. I look up every plane that I, like, when I book my flight, I look up the plane. I look up if there are any prior incidents, and I look up, like, the the map of it like i want to see the layout i want to see how many seats if it's big if it's small i need to see everything i need to know everything <sighs> i can't say i did that prior to this case but i'm feeling particularly motivated now this was in the was it 1971 yeah so 40 no 50 years ago <laughs> so i mean i ain't that long ago my grandpa was 20 something 20-something. So, that's not a good look, Peru. I, oh. I'm sure you're awesome, but don't hire not motorcycle mechanics to world. be engine mechanics for aircrafts. Well, you know, next to Malaysian Airlines, add Peru mm. onto my list of never flying. But that's just me. That's no attack to them. That is just me. That's just facts, because this happened. Mm. Now, the creek that Juliana had been so carefully wading through by using her sandal on the end of a stick to step in front of her before she would move her own actual feet forward, super smart, finally opened up into a full-blown river. And for the first few days of her wandering, Juliana had actually seen several airplanes circling overhead but those were now long gone, and it was only her, her one single sandal, and the vast river ahead. If Juliana had managed to find just a single machete, which, saying managed to find just a single machete in the airplane wreckage, that sounds crazy by today's standards, but these were people who lived in mm-hmm. Peru, in a remote area in the 1970s and machetes were so critical for getting around because they were the only thing that could cut into that dense vegetation that was everywhere so it's very likely that there that machetes had actually been present on the plane when it crashed. That is um, pre-TSA, so yeah. Yeah, pre-TSA. Yeah. And, or even if she had just been able to salvage a sharp, sturdy piece of metal from mm. the wreckage, she would have had the means on top of already having the knowledge to cut into several different types of palm bamboo and nut plants that grew in abundance everywhere in the jungle so that she could have calories and fresh water but without that ability to cut through their the incredibly tough outer shells of those plants with a sharp blade they were basically as useful to her as sand in a desert um but at the very least she had water to drink in the river which i can't imagine was particularly clean but at least it wasn't salt water i guess that's true so just had some piranha shit in it yeah just had to hope that it didn't have some sort of horrific bacteria 
the days were stifling with the heat and the humidity of the jungle and would climb well up into the 90s during the day and Juliana would either wade, swim, or just let herself drift with the flow of the river while she held onto a piece of wood. And at nightfall, she would leave the river, crawl up onto the bank, and search nearby for any area that would provide cover for her back while she attempted to sleep, such as a slope of earth or a tree trunk. And she would bury herself beneath a pile of large leaves and try to stay warm. When it was warm and dry, the mosquitoes were unbearable and nearly ate her alive. But when it rained, the water felt like freezing needles and would drive relentlessly all night long, and she would lie under her leaves shivering and unable to sleep until morning. When Juliana had first checked herself for injuries, she hadn't even noticed that she'd sustained a deep gash to her arm just behind her shoulder. But now that gash was infected and to Juliana's horror was crawling with maggots. Many times over the course of the days that she would drift down the river, Juliana would encounter crocodiles in groups of two and three sunning themselves along the riverbank, and as she would pass by, they would notice her and plunge into the water, and she would later recall that she could actually feel them disturbing the water beneath her feet. But miraculously, they would leave her alone every single time. Whenever she would hit portions of the river that were too shallow to drift, she would wade poking the thick mud in front of her with her sandal tied to a stick and sliding her feet along the bottom of the river instead of lifting and planting to check for stingrays, which apparently are by far the deadliest and most easy creature to succumb to in the jungle, even more so than poisonous snakes, crocodiles, or jaguars. I mean, I know we love Steve Irwin, in this room, mm-hmm. Steve Irwin met his death at the nasty little stinger tail of one of those things. For 10 days, she continued her harrowing journey, growing weaker and more delirious with hunger with each passing hour. Eventually, she became so weak and apathetic that she stopped having conscious thoughts and felt like she was in a trance. On the 10th day, she sat down on a sandbank as evening approached, so weak that she was actually drifting in and out of consciousness when she noticed a canoe that had been pulled up onto the bank. Certain she must be hallucinating, she looked around for any sign of people, but there were none to be found. She did, however, see a small path close to the riverbank with clear steps carved into the embankment about nine feet high. She was so weak that it took her hours of crawling on her hands and knees, but finally she reached the top and found a tiny hut with a plastic tarp for a roof. In the corner, there was a can of gasoline, and a memory flashed into her mind of her father Hans using kerosene to treat an infected wound on one of their dogs. So Juliana poured the gasoline into the open, maggot-infested wound on her shoulder. When hit with the gasoline, the insects panicked and tried to burrow their way even deeper into her skin. But Juliana gritted her teeth and dug into her wound until she had extracted around 30 maggots. 17 years old. This is one badass bitch. Get it, girl. Because I couldn't have. 
Mm-mm. And she hasn't eaten for 10 days. She's probably barely slept. Her clavicle is broken. She's drifted down a river where multiple times a day she thinks she's going to be eaten by a crocodile. She fell two miles out of the sky. Her mother vanished. She found dead bodies driven three feet into the ground. Freezing rain, heat, bugs. Meanwhile, you and I both took ourselves into bed at night, taking our Zoloft. (laughs) Meanwhile, a few weekends ago at Chicago, when we sat at the college karaoke bar, Mm. we asked if we could leave so we could go take our anti-anxiety medication. (laughs) (laughs) We are not. We are not worthy of Juliana's strength. Jesus. I mean... Yeah. I feel like there's something else I'm missing that she did. Oh, she has that gaping wound in her leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Broken bones. She was playing footsies with crocodiles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Afterwards, she collapsed and finally slept through the night. By the next morning, Juliana knew that she was starving and nearing death. Even though she was long past feeling any sensation of hunger and was so delirious that she remembers trying in vain to catch one of the many poison dart frogs that were everywhere. And fortunately, she was too weak to even pounce on the ones that were just inches away from her hands, or else they certainly would have killed her. Fully expecting to die at any moment, Juliana lay back down for one last night in the hut and closed her eyes. But suddenly, it was morning, and the voices of several approaching fishermen cut through the silence that had engulfed the young girl for days on end. She described it as like hearing the voices of angels. And what follows are Juliana's own words that she would later tell in an interview with BBC. Quote, When the fishermen saw me, they were alarmed and stopped talking. They thought I was a kind of water goddess, a figure from local legend who is a hybrid of a water dolphin and a blonde, (laughs) white-skinned woman. But I introduced myself in Spanish and explained what had happened. They treated my wounds with more gasoline and gave me something to eat, and the next day took me back to civilization. Quote, Apparently, Juliana had looked so terrible and her eyes were so bloodshot that as the fishermen began the 11-hour boat journey to bring her to medical help, villagers would flee at the sight of Juliana, believing that they'd seen a forest demon. (laughs) I would rather look like the blonde (laughs) dolphin. Also... What kind of women had these fishermen been saying that they thought she, <laughs> she was a goddess and the women thought she was a demon? I mean, jungle life's probably pretty rough, but that that's kind of hilarious that they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Damn. Juliana was probably so out of it that she did not care. Oh. <laughs> Hell no. And finally, Juliana and the fishermen reached a tiny airstrip in Pucallpa, where Juliana was flown to a missionary hospital. What follows is another quote from Juliana. The day after my rescue, I saw my father. He could barely talk, 
And in the first moment, we just held each other. For the next few days, he would frantically search for news of my mother. On January the 12th, they found her body. And later, I found out that she also survived the crash, but was so badly injured that she could not move. And she died several days later. I dread to think what her last days were like. Quote, Juliana would eventually return to her parents' native home in Germany while she fully recovered from her injuries. Unlike her parents, she went on to study biology at the University of Kiel and graduated in 1980. She received a doctorate from Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich and returned to Peru to continue research specializing in bats. She actually published her thesis on bats, which was titled An Ecological Study of a Bat Colony in the Tropical Rainforest of Peru in 1987. And Caitlin, you will love this. So in the documentary, it also shows her taking the documentary crew around where she liked to study bats at the ecological station. And one of her favorite spots is this giant tree that's hollowed out. It looks like something out of Peter Pan, but it's full of bats on the inside. And she goes in there to watch them and keep track of them and just like monitor what they're doing with their little bat lives. And Mm -hmm. she goes in there with a flashlight and shines it up and the bats don't even do anything but just kind of look surprised because they go in there during the day to sleep and so when a light comes on in there they're like what excuse you (laughs) but she is just this tiny little blonde lady and it's so cool to see her 27 years later as an adult back in peru the jungle did not break her she loves it seemingly even more than she was a kid and she's just living on the same ecological station that her parents established with her husband who is also a scientist she married him in 1989 eric diller who is an entomologist specializing in parasitic wasps that is a hard no but good for you eric i'll stick to the bats uh yeah and in 2000 um her father hans would pass away but upon his death she actually took over as the director of Panguana, which is um, just like another big research station that they had established out there. And currently she serves as a librarian at the Bavarian State Collection of Zoology in Munich. She also published an autobiography that I will not even attempt to read the German name of because I will insult every German person on the planet, but in English it is called When I Fell from the Sky, How the Jungle Gave Me My Life Back and was released in 2011 by Piper Verlag. And it actually won that year's uh, Korean Literature Prize, which is pretty awesome. And in 2019, so not that long ago, the government of Peru actually made her a Grand Officer of the Order of Merit for Distinguished Services. And it will also come as no surprise that this 
crazy survival story of Juliana was the subject of numerous books and films, including the very low budget and heavily fictionalized Italian movie that was called Miracles Still Happen. And Caitlin, I want you right now to go to Google because you're going to laugh. Go to Google and type in Miracles Still Happen because the cover of this movie looks like a literal bodice ripper romance from the 1800s. It looks like the cover of a 70s porno. Does it not, though? We are going to put it at the tail end of our Instagram carousel because it's so ridiculous and I'll probably put like eyes over the boobies to cover it up because it is so heinously offensive to (laughs) Juliana to 17 year old Juliana yeah no yeah it's it's bad and it is on YouTube you can go watch it and Juliana hated it because the actress that they had to play her was so bad that her facial expression is basically the same the entire movie and her hair looks like Miley Cyrus 2023 hair which is pretty on point but everything else about it sucked and was nothing like what actually happened unlike what we just told you which is the real story of what happened yeah yeah so if you want a good laugh uh go watch miracles still happen (laughs) but maybe stick to the other documentary if you want yeah but maybe stick to listening to this and tell all your friends and family about it thank you uh but if you really do want to do a further deep dive into the juliana cupkey story definitely check out her autobiography and Uh, the Warner Herzog documentary which was a major source for this case Wings of Hope you can also find on YouTube and so that concludes our story this week and even though it ended with survival and it wasn't you know as bad as granny killing or eating eyeballs it still made me sweat just as much Mm, yeah (laughs) and a lot more people died yeah which is horrible horrible and one thing i will throw in that i forgot to mention is there's actually a really large monument to the victims of this crash that was um set up outside of that airport and several of the bodies that ended up being recovered i I said several i think it's actually like 60 something bodies so a lot are actually buried within that monument so it's like a giant thing that you can go see and in the plaster on the side of the monument there's a map that's carved into it that actually maps juliana's route from the crash site to where she was eventually found which is pretty uh pretty cool and the monument i believe is called wings of hope or something which um if they're referring those crested chickens that's pretty epic ah that's so cute (laughs) that's just what i'm assuming um also just need to make a quick note if there's anything to learn from this working on motorcycles does not equate to working on airplanes certainly not gosh well 
If you would like to join us next week, we are going to be covering the case of 20-year-old Sierra Joggin. And you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at campinesscanceled. And if you want, you could email us at campinesscanceled at gmail with any case suggestions. And, you know, you could always follow us on Patreon at campinesscanceled. Yeah. Mm, I think that's all our, our websites. Yeah, uh, camping is canceled for the rest of this week. Bye. Bye. Bye.